0: In your opinion, should we be more aware? Should we be more scared? Should we be more
1: um, proactive? So I think there were four. Yes, 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 yes,
0: yes, yes sorry. <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, I'm Paul Scott. I'm the CEO of Health Alliance for Austin Musicians, Ham. Usually I need to lead off and say, hey, I'm with Ham, because everybody also knows what Ham is. Right. Yeah, you know, we are an organization that provides um, access to affordable health care for our local working musicians, and we provide other services around prevention and wellness. And so we've, we've been around since 2005, so I'm happy to be here to talk more about the organization and kind of what's what we're doing to help keep Austin the Music music, the live capital of the world. Yeah, that's very important. I'm sure. I mean,
0: I'm I'm new to Austin, so I'm kind of learning what is important uh, here uh, for the community. Obviously, music is a big part of what makes Austin unique. Yes. Um, you can kind of feel that vibe. I live not too far away from the studio, which is considering us downtown still, and so I have a lot of bars near us, a lot of live music, and so you just feel that energy here. So I can guarantee that it's very important to the people of Austin that musicians are taken care of so they can keep producing the great music that they do. So what what brought you to Austin? Great question. So (laughs) uh, I work for a company called Rougette, and they do uh, men's health erectile dysfunction treatments, mostly telehealth. Mm -hmm. I've been working for them since 2020, right before the pandemic started. And of course, back then, telehealth was kind of this new. Uh, bizarre concept. We didn't really know where it was going to go. And then when the pandemic happened, it just exploded because that was the best way for patients to access um, you know, medical providers by being remote. And so the company has just done so well, and I've loved every step of the way working with, with the people. And, and so uh, we decided to bring ourselves closer together. So now I'm spending half my time in Austin here where they're headquartered at, and then the other half back in Florida where I'm from. Just really trying to contribute any way that I can to help the company. Uh, they don't need my help, but... You know, just try to really enjoy, you know, working with them and, and and being able to contribute. So that's what's brought me here and kind of how we've made this podcast. So uh, if you want to say, how, how did you get to us? So what's your story with with um, how you've ended up here?
1: Oh, well, you know, I, I got to Texas actually first. So in 2003, I was up in the Dallas area where I um, was the executive director of the Gay and Lesbian Community Center up there. Yeah. And then I um, uh, was recruited to come down here to, to actually start advocating for LGBTQ rights for Equality Texas. Um, so I lobbied at the state capitol for about four years, um, um, working working with them, you know, fighting fighting the windmills at the Texas Capitol um, uh, on LGBTQ issues, and uh, then I moved over to Aid Services of Austin, where I was their C- CEO for about twelve years, and, and now I'm with Health Alliance. So. Um, down in Austin just because my husband was working at Whole Foods Market down here and was commuting from Dallas and so we like we need to get down to Austin and just yeah, live the life here. That's cool. Yeah. What have you thought so far? Are you enjoying it? Well you know 17 years into it I hope we like <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Otherwise I've been miserable for 17 years. Uh, no it's been great you know it's um, been fun to kind of just really have access to the outdoors almost the entire year yeah. of course you know here in Austin had a good friend of mine that came down from Wisconsin this week and he was like I I can't believe I'm sitting here in shorts, you know, and, you know, I think that day it was like 87 degrees and it's like, and it's February still. So,
0: yes, that's definitely uh, one of the reasons why it's been a little easier for me and my partner to adjust here because coming from Florida, anything below 60 degrees is like trauma for me (laughs) because I'm just used to being warm. So we've had really good luck with the weather here. Um, so how have you seen the music scene change in the last 17 years? I know you've probably, um, in there firsthand to see how things have evolved, especially through the pandemic? Um, is it moving in a good direction? Do you feel like music is is more booming here? Or do you feel like, uh, you know, things have changed in a more negative direction? Where do you see music of Austin going right now? I,
1: I think you're seeing a, kind of a yin and yang, you know, in terms of that question. You know, sure. there's, there's good things happening, bad things happening. Obviously, with the, you know, Austin's growth, and, and I have to say explosive growth over the last 17 years, you know, I remember when I first came here, Frost Tower was the the tallest building, and can you see the Frost Tower now? Right. It's like it's like it's just covered up. Um, and I think with that has come with some pressures on the music scene, obviously with affordability for our working musicians. And so that's one area that we're trying to address at Ham is trying to you know eliminate some of these barriers that our musicians have to staying here because right. we want them to be healthy. Uh, but at the same time, you know that we want to make sure they can afford their insurance and afford their rent and be able to kind of create and play here as well. Um, so I think that's, you know, an area that, you know, we've got multiple organizations and also trying to help our musicians stay here. Um, I think at the same time, we're we're starting to see a little bit of a pickup in the industry here. You know, we're, you know Nashville has a more robust kind of industry in terms of the producers and the studios. Um, and then we also see that you know, a lot of our musicians sometimes are having to go out to L.A., for example, to kind of produce. Um, And so what we're hoping to see is the growth of the industry here so we can kind of keep everything here. And like, how do we create an ecosystem that supports that? Because the one thing I talk about, you know, with HAM is, you know, we promote Austin as the life capital of the world. But, and people are, you know, attracting and recruiting people to come to Austin for that, corporations are, but how are we encouraging our corporations and the city and the county and other entities to kind of invest in that so that we can keep that moniker and, and make it, make it mean something and, and kind of, you know, invest in that so that, you know, people can come here for the live music and um, be able to enjoy it and our musicians can afford to live here as well. Right. Definitely. So yeah, that's one of the
0: questions I was just thinking about. Speaking of affording, so how do musicians in general make money? Like, you know, I am very ignorant in regards to uh, anything that really in the entertainment industry. I've never really you know worked in that field. But I go to live music shows. You know, I pay my cover charge Mm -hmm. sometimes when it's required, and you know they never really have a tip jar out for most of the places that I've gone. So I always just wonder. You know, if you're working at a, a bar or if you're working at a venue like how are our musicians really making money? Isn't that you? I mean, I'm not sure if you're the well, they
1: get, they're getting paid for a gig, you know, and so it's section. kind of a set price in it's many cases. And so, yeah, you know, there was an article that came out last year, um, uh, and Marsha Ball, who is a longtime uh, musician here in the Central Texas area, well, she's kind of world renowned actually, and so she's one of our board members at Ham. Wow. But she was talking about really how uh, compensation for gigs has not really changed that much in 40 years. Yeah. Forty years. Crazy. I mean, that's a, that's a lot to say. You know, if someone's getting paid six hundred dollars for a gig, well, they're having to. If they got band members, they're having to share that with the band members as well. So, particularly if you're a starting you know artist, a you know, musician, and you're you're trying to get you know into the game and into the um, industry here you're having to work multiple jobs you know not only you're doing music but you're you know, may be working at a coffee shop or you may be doing other things that gives you flexibility so you can play uh, so it's really kind of piecing this all together but we do have different organizations in Austin that kind of help people to mm-hmm. kind of steer them into kind of okay here's how you develop your business you know here's how you sell yourself um, so we have infrastructure in place to help people but at the same time you know it's the income is limited you know for our musicians that we serve we serve over 3,000 musicians in ham um, 80% of them earn less than $24,000 a year. So think about those of you that know Austin, the affordability issues, that's not a lot of money,
0: right? Yeah. And thinking too, you know, we just moved here. We're in an apartment right now. We would love to you know, buy a house. So we've been looking at property in the Austin area, especially close by to downtown for convenience. And it's insanely expensive. I, I can't really compare it to any other city that I've been to where the the price of of owning a home that maybe was a different value just a few years ago you know especially it shows you on some of these websites like this is what the cost is for the house but this is what they paid for it a few years ago and it's almost double in some instances so how are you know local artists even able to find you know affordable apartments or affordable you know places to live is that something that our resources are available for them or is it kind of like we're still trying to figure out how to guide that difficult situation yeah, that, that's that's
1: a huge issue an ongoing dialogue I think right. the most uh, recent music um, needs assessment that came out the census came out you know of course affordability was the number one issue housing was you know, up there with that as, as kind of that component um, and so it's a it's a huge amount of money you're talking about when you're talking about trying to provide support for people in housing and I've I've been part of housing programs for LGBT or HIV people with HIV for twenty plus years, and it takes a huge investment. Um, So I think you have to look at we're going to look at creatively in Austin about what can we do, maybe as opposed to just providing say rental assistance, for example. Are there some tax credits to homeowners that rent to musicians? Maybe you know, or or is there some other mechanism by which you can encourage musicians to kind of stay here and live here that they get some sort of stipend, you know, from the city? And you know, we've got to think creatively if you want to kind of keep people here particularly in the music scene, um, so that we can stay the live music capital of the world. Um, And so uh, there's discussions that are happening now is like developing housing, for example. Do we look at housing centers for musicians or some combination thereof or allocating housing? Yeah, there are programs in other cities like new orleans has a good you know um, great program that they developed in the ninth ward that has a kind of musician housing but also studios and um, rehearsal spaces as well so is there an opportunity for us to look at that in austin so i think there's opportunities here we just got to execute on them for sure do you feel like the elected officials of
0: austin are aware of this problem and they're focused on trying to help musicians or is it something that you kind of have to them for? How is your kind of an experience with, with people in power?
1: Yeah, I think our elected officials here are very much on board in terms of keeping Austin going with the live music scene. Okay. Um, uh, I, I think you've got your attention here, you know, with developers and you know, corporations and, you know, maintaining kind of like a, how do you maintain kind of the developments and the venues on Red River Street, for example. And we've seen different venues disappear over the years. Um, you see new venues happening now south down on South Manchac, for example. Uh, so you've got you know new venues opening up and opportunities. Uh, but our elected officials, uh, uh, they understand you know housing is an issue just generally, right? Um, and then they so they understand that, but then also you know there's a huge amount of support for the music community. Our Mayor Watson was at our ribbon cutting for our grand opening of our building yesterday, um, <laughs> and um, several council members. And so I think it's universal support. Uh, for musicians uh, and we just need to look at you know how do we continue or kind of grow that support particularly with financial support or tax breaks whatever that may look like in terms of the music industry
0: Gotcha. So of course, if you're on a limited income, the last thing, many of my patients that I treat in telehealth, they don't have insurance Mm -hmm. because they can't afford it. They look for an alternative, telehealth ends up being a cheaper option for them. So if you're making $25,000 or less a year, it's guaranteed you're not probably able to afford health insurance. I mean, premiums are outrageous. So for these people, what is that process typically like when they come to your organization? Do they say, I need help, I don't have insurance? Or like, say there's a, a listener right now who is a new artist in Austin and wants to know how they can get involved and find, you know, healthcare Um, what would be their process or how would that work for them?
1: Yeah, a lot of times it happens, it's word of mouth. So if a musician is on HAM, we call it on HAM, (laughs) Um, but if they're getting assistance through HAM, uh, they'll tell another musician. And we also have outreach programs. Our big focus now um, is trying to do outreach and educate um, musicians of color in the community and uh, female musicians and LGBTQ musicians about HAM and what we do um, so that we can educate them and uh, raise that awareness as they can take advantage of that we have it's not only health access to health insurance we also have you know, stipends for dental care. We have um, support for basic needs such as food assistance. Wow. Um, we have access to hearing services, so our musicians get here. their testing hearing, they get customized earplugs um, so that they can protect their hearing. Um, they also have access to, you know, vision services. Um, we have the we ability to provide Lasix for musicians that need it, wow. you know, for if they qualify, some strict criteria around that, obviously, because sure. the medical component. Uh, so I think it's really kind of the outreach. Um, and I know, like if I'm if I'm, you know, Central Market one time had their Hatch Chili Festival and there's a whole bunch of musicians playing. And so I'm going one by one to, to them <laughs> yeah. and say, "Do you know about ham?" Yeah. You know, oh yeah, I'm on ham. And the other person, oh, I just moved here. I don't know about ham. Right. Um, so so you, we kind of have our outreach to kind of educate our musicians around this word of mouth, um, and just hopefully trying to get it out there. I think sometimes it's a struggle. Some people don't think they need insurance is the key issue and so then they have to ha- hit an emergency yeah. and all of a sudden like what am I going to do I don't have health care I may have to have something you know, extreme you know in terms of the cost and the medical debt I want to incur and uh, that's the area that we're really trying to encourage our musicians to sign up for the insurance was because um, we want to make sure they're they have it in case there is an emergency. But also there's the preventative aspects to it as well. And that's a huge education component that we focus on with our health navigators um, is getting you in for your annual exam. It's 100%, if you've got the insurance, it's 100% covered.
0: Um,
1: So you could get all your tests. You could get a testosterone test, if you've got low testosterone, for example. Perfect. and you know, encouraging people to do that because you know nationally, what thirty three percent of men actually get an annual exam, right. uh, even though it's one hundred percent covered by their insurance. Yeah. Uh, same for women in terms of getting their mammogram. You know, we work to remind them about that. So preventative and wellness is kind of a, a core component of what we do as well.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I, I find that a lot of my patients too. They'll come to me almost like more of an urgent care situation where oh, I just need something really quick. And they skip all their preventative care, you know, type screenings and, and just follow up and, and trying to educate them on how important it is just to establish a relationship with a primary doctor, use that free benefit if you do have insurance. Even if not, you're able to still, you know, navigate usually the system, at least for telehealth, to find a, a primary care provider uh, and establish to have that sort of record of this is what I'm like when I'm healthy. So when I do get sick, there's a you know a way that we can at least navigate those symptoms. A lot of times patients present last you know, last point, last point of the scenario when they're needing something critical. And like you mentioned, can be much more expensive. So, those preventative screenings can really help. I definitely know from my experience when talking to younger patients, it's harder to get them to buy in because they haven't really had health issues. Do you find that problem as well when you're in, you know, trying to outreach and, and educate the community that younger patients are a little bit like, ah, I don't need this. This isn't for me. Um, is that an issue that your navigators have, have run into?
1: I, I think that's typically the case yeah, <laughs> for, for any young person. I'm invincible. Right, I can be burning my candles at both ends, and, you know, gigging for you know t- for four days in a row, no rest, no food, and right. um, and so we we actually that's part of our education is like, you know, we can help you out, particularly on the financial criteria, you may qualify that we could move you oh. on to a, one of our programs that we have a partnership with Central Health on, um, and so you could get hundred percent of your premiums covered, oh. you know, in some cases if you're on the central health program. And um, so it's just easy breezy for you to, you know, your your insurance is covered, Go get your services, get your screenings, Uh, particularly if you're trying to, you know, your instrument is your life, you know. So whether it's your hands or fingers playing the guitar or drums, or whether it's your vocal cords, if you're singing, you know, this is your livelihood. So you need to protect that and invest in that. And so, you know, we provide access to screenings, not only through your health insurance, but we also just do regular screenings with our, we have partnerships with multiple providers. So, like the hearing screening I mentioned earlier. Um, but there's also, we do, you know, vocal screenings. We've got one coming up in a couple of weeks, for example. So do I have nodes, you know, on my vocal cords? Better to know that in advance so I can get taken take care of. And so it doesn't have, you know, something more dramatic that happens that affects my voice. And
0: I can't work anymore. Right. Are those screenings typically open to the public? Or is it mostly just the members of him? Or is it members of him and then they can tell their friends, like, you know, hey, I know this musician. He just moved into town. There's this screening come up coming up are they able to bring their friends or is that something that's just strictly for, you know, once you're already a member of HAM?
1: Yeah, typically it's for our members because of the qualifications for um, uh, being a member. Qualifying for, you know, we uh, qualifications for our membership is um, you have to be 400% of federal federal poverty level or below. Um, most of our musicians you know, qualify for that. <laughs> you have to be working in kind of the five county area within a, you know, about 60, 90 miles of the Austin Center. And then you have to be a working musician. So just document. And we, we're really creative about that. And it's, we try to remind people, like we're not talking about people that are just doing rock and roll and R&B. You know, we we serve classical musicians, piano teachers, you know, instrumental teachers. So we, we really are kind of expansive in terms of of how we qualify and define musicians. Sure. So
0: um, how did, can you give me a little bit of background on how this, how HAM started? Like, was it a group of people who were like, hey, there's a problem here, let's fix it. Did people already have experience in healthcare to navigate it quite quickly? Like, how did it come about? What was the what's the history there?
1: Well, uh, great that you asked that question because uh, <laughs> we've just been talking about this for the last two days. We, we actually opened up our, our permanent home this week and had a grand opening. And it's named after our founder, who is Robin Shipper. So she and her husband, Bud, were kind of instrumental in supporting the organization and its, and its um, foundation. Um, you know, Robin was a businesswoman, and um, she was very heavily involved in the music industry. And um, it came about one time where she was working with um, a musician who was you know, really not focused on making money. He talks about this, Troy Campbell. He was actually our first member of ham actually and so he talks about how you know, he was just giving away his cds and uh, you know not focused on the business side and so she started working with him on the business side but then she also asked him like okay well what are you doing about you and your band doing for your health care right. and I'm like well, i can't worry about health care i can't put food on the table for example and she goes well we're going to fix that it's like that's unacceptable so she was very well known and, and very uh kind of um well in place in terms of a philanthropist in the community, worked with Seton Hospital, uh, was on the, their philanthropy, philanthropy board there. Mm-hmm. And so she just went and started using her uh, heft, you know, in terms of her reputation um, to kind of get the Seton on board first to kind of work within their charitable care system. Um, and then she cobbled together um, a, a group of people to come on board, like Ray Benson with the Sleep at the Wheel. Um, he was one of the founding board members, um, and she brought other people to the table to kind of say, "Okay, we really need to do this." And she has such command that they said, "We have to do it because Robin's asking us." Yeah. Um, and as a result, that's that's how it started, and it started off with Troy Campbell as our first member, and then. Um, It moved kind of like in the next two years to like 500 members. And now we're serving over 3,100 members a year. Incredible. Yeah. And so is there a partnership with a specific hospital system?
0: Is there a partnership with the federal government or the state government? Do you have a private insurance partnership? Like who is really uh, supporting these insurance plans? Like what, how does that
1: typically work? Yeah, I think that's where we excel is in partnerships because opposed to us trying to create a program ourselves or create services ourselves, we actually work to make those partnerships happen so we can leverage their systems in place uh, right. as opposed to creating another system ourselves. Um, so it started off with Ascension Seton was our first partner. We still, they're still a critical partner of ours. St. David's Foundation also came on board at the same time to help provide assistance for dental services and. Mm. They continue to provide support for our, our dental program. Um, we also have a strong relationship with Central Health, which is our hospital district in the area. It's kind of a quasi-governmental entity. And so they actually have their separate insurer, you know, kind of local insurer called Sendero. And so they fund that program to provide insurance um, for low-income people throughout the um, central uh, throughout Tra- Travis County actually, and HAM members, um, we have a separate program for them that they can access that insurance. That's the one I was talking about earlier, that people can get 100% of their premium covered. Um, so it's, uh, and then we also work with partners, you know, like uh, you know, specialists you know, in terms of ear, nose, and throat, uh, so it's really kind of creating those relationships, um, so that our members have access to different type of care. You know, Half Helen is another nonprofit we, can, we partner with, and that's for eyeglasses. Sure. Um, sharp laser, uh, Sharp um, Eye Care; they provide LASIK surgery. Uh, so I, I can go on. Yeah, you know, I don't think yeah. we have enough time to talk about all the partnerships it's, but that's that's how we facilitate it in a way to kind of make sure we have an expansive array of services available to our musicians gotcha
0: and so most of the funding then is um through those partnerships i guess would that be how they're supported mostly as this plan or do you get like federal grants or state grants how is how is
1: the whole um sort of organization being funded primarily yeah, so we do get some of some funding from our partners in yeah. um, in terms of just ongoing funding to support kind of our staff to be able to link them into their services, but the majority of our money actually comes from individuals. Um, um, that's a, that's a good thing in many ways. I've worked with nonprofits for twenty five years, and particularly with most of them being heavily dependent on federal or state local grants. Um, a lot of strings attached to those. Um, so we we actually have individual donations and then our key events. Um, so we have like Ray ben, Ray Benson's birthday bash coming up next week, um, two weeks. Um, and then we have uh, our corporate battle of the bands um, that's in June 7th. And then we have our, the biggest event we have is Ham Day, which is a day of music throughout the entire city of Austin. So we have like 200 mu- musicians playing across town at 60 what? venues starts at 6 in the morning goes until <laughs> you know well past midnight at different venues and so we raised last year over eight hundred and sixty thousand dollars through that event. And so we're you know, one day we're trying to get towards that $1 million dollar goal for that event to hit at some point because um, that's it's, a, it's just a great day to celebrate music. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, bring attention to the needs of our musicians.
0: And that when when was that again? So
1: that's going to be Tuesday, September nineteenth this year. Gotcha. Yes.
0: Very cool. So I will put that on my calendar. Oh, definitely. My partner and I are always trying to find things to do. Now we're, we're relatively new here, like I mentioned, and we've been working a lot in the evening. So our schedule is going to be. Opening up soon in the evening, so we want to be like going to as much live music as we can. We had a, a guest also talking about the burlesque scene recently, so I definitely want to learn more about the awesome burlesque scene as well. Um, but as far as the corporate battle of the bands, that also yes. sounds really interesting. That you said is coming up. On- That's
1: coming up June seventh. So okay. if anybody's listening to this, and, yeah. you're, and you've got you 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 know you've got a bunch of people that in your company or your corporation, yeah. you know, that um, can pull together a band. Um, we're, we've got a few slots open, and the, it, there's a box Buy into that, So sure. essentially I think it's like a $10,000 buy-in um, to get into the corporate battle of the bands, but it's it is the one of the most amazing events. So um, cool. it's, it, last year was my first year actually as a CEO. And um I'm thinking, okay, great, you know, it's gonna be some employees, you know, they get together in the garage and it's gonna it's gonna be fun, but you kinda kitschy. Uh no. <laughs> they <laughs> went in. It's like <laughs> They're like it's wow. it's like a professional band. Um, like H.E.B. always has a band, wow. um, and they they're death metal and they do pop. They do death um, death metal versions of pop oh covers, God. and incredible. it is not only incredible in terms of how they turn it into. Uh, Kind of this awesome death metal. Yeah. Um, but it's also just <laughs> funny too. Right. Like if you're hearing Katie the Perry you know, It's, like, <laughs> like, it's like, like, wow. Um like didn't you know they didn't you know you could morph that song into that that cool of a cool of a way. Yeah. yeah. How many bands typically get involved? Um, I think this year we're slotting about eleven bands to come in. Um we had I think eight last year. Um, and so it's just a great night and so it's a great way to engage corporations and their employees in the work that we're doing but it's also open to the public as well awesome yeah.
0: so definitely a great way to give back and also enjoy yourself would be to go to one of these events but for people who want to take that next step you know um, me and my partner we're always trying to find ways to contribute to the communities that we're in and you know being a part of the LGBTQ community we're always trying to give back to, to gay entertainment as well as just musicians in general I think music and, and LGBT sort of culture go really hand-in-hand hand. and so how can we give back are there things we can do physically can we volunteer with our time or you know financially who should we give to uh, for those of us who don't really know where to get started, but want to give back in the Austin awesome music scene,
1: yeah, great. Yeah, um, you know, our website is myham.org. So it's my myham. It's two a's, not one. But myham.org/slash/donate. Um, so that's the you know, first of all, great way. We would love for people to support us. Um, you can do it at five dollars a month, or just five dollars, or you know, we have our Pearl Society, which is kind of our um, kind of think of it as our major donor club. Essentially, it's a thousand dollars and above. Um, and with that if, if someone gives to that they can do it on a monthly basis um, you get access to four curated events every year at different cool venues like we just had a great venue at Arlen Studios which is an old studio kind of great um, you know historical place here you know we were we we're getting ready to set up and Gary Clark Jr. is recording as we're getting as we're setting up um, but we had um, uh, some great you know, new folks playing at these a great you new know, up and coming talents as well as established talents that come into these events uh, it's just a fun way to kind of engage with live music in a very intimate environment and then of course we have our volunteer program we call them ambassadors we, we like to use a lot of ham puns around <laughs> there it's like it's why, just, not? why not it's like and i thought i thought maybe they all had been identified prior to my coming to the organization but apparently i've come up with some new ones um, <laughs> but our ambassadors are, are are great um, in terms of supporting our events um that really helps extend what we can do because um, that means that we've got additional capacity because our volunteers can do it, as opposed to trying to hire someone to do that. So it allows us to do more programs with the communities. So we have a lot of third party events. If you if you love music, um, being an ambassador is a great way, one, to kind of get involved with live music with us, but it also gives you an entry point um, to you know other bands that may need help with selling their merchandise, for example, or uh, we have some other nonprofits that we partner with that have similar type of events. And so we we share our volunteers across different organizations and you know, people get in for free to hear these, this great music.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's an awesome way that my partner and I can definitely contribute. We'd love to be ambassadors. So what would that be like? Do we just log on the website and apply to be a, a volunteer? Volunteer, or yeah, you
1: go to the website, kind of look for the the volunteer ambassador opportunity there, and um, just send your name in, and we'll follow up with you on that. Um, um, I could probably follow up with you individually. Yeah. <laughs> we I'll loop y'all in immediately. You'll sure. Probably send you the packet right away. Uh, uh, but yeah, some great opportunities there. Uh, I think it's really cool with our volunteer programs. Like, as a get to meet people. Yeah. We're talking people like they've been doing this for ten. 12 years or since the beginning of ham, you know, 17 years. And that, that longevity is just incredible with any nonprofit organization that people have stuck with us that long. And so I've learned to like truly appreciate our, our ambassadors because uh, we couldn't do it without them. And so there's some unique opportunities um, for people to come in and, and help us. So, for sure. Hope y'all could do it.
0: Yeah, it'll <laughs> be a lot of fun and a great way to meet people. Obviously, again, trying to make friends and uh, be more involved in the community. So I also wanted to touch on just sort of some of your history. You know, I'm very passionate about HIV AIDS awareness. I mean, obviously we're seeing this brand new sort of horizon for um, HIV prevention with PrEP and the access to PrEP being so robust, right. which is so encouraging mm-hmm. and something that I did not anticipate. I actually first heard about PrEP back in 2012. Uh, I was in clinical rotations and, and read an article about it. It had not even gotten you know any mainstream television time yet or or ad space time. I actually went to my provider at the time and said, hey, I want to be on this medicine. It can, you know, reduce the risk of HIV. And uh, he was like, I have no idea what this is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it, it actually was that journey for a few years. I was able to, you know, access it relatively early on and, and realize I had no side effects. It was a once you know daily tablet and it would dramatically really change my perception of how I saw my sexuality and and feeling safe during something that's obviously so intimate and so important when you're building relationships relationships and dating. Um so if you just want to kind of give a little bit of your experience working in that industry, obviously it's what's led you to, to being where you're at now with your experience in healthcare. Um, what was that like and what is it kind of have you did you see much of a change? Obviously, you've seen a change uh,
1: throughout time. Oh well, wow. yeah, it's been, a, <laughs> it's, been, it's been a significant change. Yeah, I really started working in this area about 1995, so it's been it's been a while. Wow. Um, and so I was on a board of directors of a HIV organization in Chattanooga, um, being positive myself. Um, you know, I, I I was a I was a client, and, and those are the early days where you know where there wasn't much treatment, and so I kind of went through my own difficult journey um you know near death several times um in the early 90s and then um the med- new medications came out which is the protease inhibitors which are kind of the genesis for prep that you're talking about right. um and the way that was transformational in terms of like me being in the hospital basically being told i wouldn't live through the night to six weeks later i was snorkeling in hawaii incredible um, so just a dramatic turnaround um, and so, over time, we kind of you know we saw the the need for kind of for people to get educated about protease inhibitors and about new regimens, and then we also know that people, communities of color really needed to be educated and raise awareness and trying to eliminate barriers and stigma. Stigma is a huge issue. Stigma for both HIV treatment, but also for PrEP, it's a huge right. stigma around PrEP and for sure. and communities of color is you're thinking about sexual activity and equating that with promiscuity. And we're, we need to think of it as a healthcare issue and healthcare prevention. Um, what, a, what a great way to save money for the healthcare system, first of all, but also save lives um, for people. So I think um, it's, gr- it's great to see that, that we're normalizing this in some ways, even though there's some you know challenges and struggles with the prep programs in parts of the, the country now. Um, we we see this is going kind to of continue area that we need to expand and educate people on. I, it's some an area like for us to kind of partner with our local organizations here with Ham for with Ham so that we can maybe move some of our members and then educate them about prep as well because it's not just about gay people being on prep. It's about heterosexual being on it. If you're sexually active, you, know, you want to protect yourself. Uh, so I think there's a lot of opportunity here to continue to expand this. You know with Um, different communities, particularly communities of color. Absolutely. And so it sounds like obviously you have a a ton
0: of experience in healthcare and learning to navigate these really complex scenarios and situations. Is your experience with HIV AIDS and, and, learning, um, you know, through that early process, has that really contributed to how you've become so knowledgeable about navigating healthcare right now? Because I know there's a lot of people out there who want to get into this industry. You know, even myself, I've thought about how can I start a nonprofit? What can I do to give back? Obviously it's a, bunch of work and, and a lot of uh, difficulty to navigate that whole process. But um, can you kind of talk about how your experience has kind of prepared you for that? Or did you just kind of fall into that placement? Like what, what kind of led you to being in this leadership position in a nonprofit?
1: Yeah, I think it came about because of having to navigate through the healthcare system. Yeah, <laughs> And, uh, you know, when your, your doctor wants to get you on the medication, like you remember the human growth hormone, you know, and, and, and the back in the, Probably the mid nineties you know early mid nineties you know that was a treatment trying to keep people with lean muscle mass and yes. so that and so you know my doctor was you know trying to get me on it, and so then you know I had to advocate to my insurance company and fight them and fight them and fight them, and so it's like and, you know, here you are you know, if you're if you've got whether it's HIV or whether it's cancer or anything, and to put the patient in the position of having to fight for life saving care is an insane way our system is set up because it's all based on kind of cost, and it's like, well, we're not going to pay for it because it costs too much. You need to use maybe the substandard or not so effective treatment, for example, or the whole step therapy, for example. You know, where people say, well, you need to try this first and this and this first and. Um, I think that kind of drove me into the advocacy world. So then I, I became an advocate for people with HIV. Um, I was the only one that would speak about it in Chattanooga, so I was kind of oh. the kind of the, the person talking about it all the time, and I started advocating at the state level. So that's where I started getting my advocacy chops on both HIV as well as LGBTQ issues. Um, and so with that, you know, I just saw the ability to kind of you know kind of use my voice to be able to you know help people and provide services, and then you know. Slowly, had you know, had to educate myself. Um, yeah, you know, I, I grew up kind of you know, as a professional in the Ryan White system. If you're from the, you know, yeah. Ryan White CARE Act provides you know, funding for people with HIV. Um, and so, you know, having to kind of, you know, advocate and fight around that and for programming and services. Um, and so then I, kind of, I was an attorney originally and, um, and I was a trial practice attorney for nine years. Yeah. It's like, you're too nice to be an attorney. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And so then, so then I got into nonprofit, and it was like, oh, this is what work is supposed to feel like. Yeah. It was just yeah, you, know, you, you got to find your place, you yeah, know. And sure. so being an attorney it was definitely not my place. Um, yeah, and so that's another whole podcast. <laughs> we <laughs> so should. Talk I got about some that. stories on that, Um, uh, particularly in rural Tennessee and Georgia. Th- there's some cuckoo it. stuff that happens please. out there. Yeah,
0: yes, uh, we are having you back just for that talk, <laughs> okay, please. <yeah. laughs>
1: it's entertaining. Um, um, But yeah, so then you know. I got to be into nonprofit and was like, oh, wow, this is super fulfilling. And it's just like, it's about living a life of service. Um, it's, just, it's just, you know, seeing what you can do for people and people in need and how much they appreciate it. Um, we, you know, everybody needs help at some point and, uh, yeah, I think sometimes in America we talk about oh we're individualistic and rugged and everybody pulls themselves up by their bootstraps. Well, if you don't got bootstraps, you know it's gonna be hard to pull them up. <laughs> so you need to give, be able to give people some bootstraps at least for them to get on their get on their own. And I think that's you know how we how I like to help is just you know, make sure people kind of eventually have the tools and resources they need to be successful. And the same thing we're doing here at Ham is setting people up for success so they can live their dream be creative and live the live their music dream. Yes. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, it sounds like this is, is something
0: that I hope people learn more about. I hope other communities catch on, you know, music is a fundamental part of how we interact with each other, how we are entertained and how we enjoy where we live. And so it's, it's interesting that, um, this hopefully, hopefully it's catching on. I'm just not aware. Hopefully other cities are becoming more involved in wanting to give back to their, their local musicians. You know, obviously you've been working in healthcare, which can be a very, difficult and um, a lot of adversity, kind of trying to to get the funds you need, trying to uh, advocate for people, especially people in a minority, you know, communities or, you know, obviously the LGBT plus community. So have you felt as though it's been difficult to navigate sometimes kind of getting your voice heard or felt backlash from trying to be vocal, especially, I mean, you know, earlier in your career, (laughs) advocating for HIV AIDS in a community that could maybe feel homophobic, I'm from the South as well, so I I definitely can relate to feeling like advocating for myself may result in a lot of negativity, which is always really been a reason why I have stayed quiet, I think, especially in my local community back in Jacksonville, I don't really put myself out there in fear of backlash. Have you kind of just grown a tough skin through the years or any kind of advice you could give for people who are a little bit scared to kind of put themselves out there
1: and advocate for themselves? Yeah, I have not grown a tough skin (laughs) at all. (laughs) Um, That's hard sometimes, but I think it also helps that I have it because like if you tough skin, sometimes you get a little jaded uh, and you kind of lose sight. um, So uh, so I'm still super like since Oh, I can't believe they didn't like, didn't invite me in or something. <laughs> me
0: too. Uh, <laughs> <Very> me.
1: <laughs> um, uh, but I think it's also if you believe, in, uh, to me, it's like about believing what is important. Right. And if you truly believe in what you're doing. Um, and I think that's gets you over that hump of that fear or that being scared. And I, I talk about, you know, I always talk about this when I was at Equality Texas and we were training people to, you know, advocate for LGBTQ rights in the Capitol with a very conservative environment. And just to remind them, it's like you've been advocating your entire life. You've advocated for that toy when you were at Christmas time or whatever, your birthday. uh, You had a strong case for that. So if you truly believe in what you're talking about in terms of your rights or your needs, um, think about that, because you channel that kind of what is important to you. And just communicate sincerely to people what it means to you and why it's important for them to hear you and to hopefully support you. Um, so I think it's a I think it's important to kind of keep that as the mindset. At the same time, you know, as we look at um, you know equity issues in our community, uh, we have to have different approaches, um, particularly for established organizations like Ham and other organizations that maybe you know developed kind of out of a out of a kind of a white kind of culture. Basis in terms of serving mostly, you know, white males in the music industry at first, Um, and you know, how do we, you. build relationships in a way they're authentic. Um, you know, not ask people to sit at our table, that we go and sit at other people's tables. Right. And that if you're setting a table, you're setting the table at the very beginning um, with the people that need to be part of what that looks like, as opposed to kind of setting the parameters and then inviting people in. You, you, re- you really have to be inclusive at the very beginning in your thought process, if you're gonna be able to kind of engage people, overcome, you know, reticence or phobias, whatever that may look like in terms of people's attitudes.
0: Right, and I assume that there's been opposition to a lot of the things you've been, you know, advocating for from HIV, AIDS, to where we're at now with, you know, trying to get affordable healthcare for musicians. Have you ever felt targeted by people that are maybe also on Capitol Hill trying to oppose the things that you're preaching or or the things that you are um, trying to promote? Or has that not really been an issue for you?
1: I think it's gotten better over the years. I think more specifically around HIV. I think um, our, our legislators are generally are not going to touch funding. Right. For example, they're going to fund the the ADAP program at the state. For example, okay. I think definitely less so when it comes to our musicians. For example, it's uh, it's hard to hate our musicians. <laughs> so yeah. so I've, 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 that's a little bit of relief in terms that's of moving good. into this role where you don't have that maybe uh, that same kind of um, uh, kind of stop. We we're not going to support this. Uh, I think the tension comes a little bit sometimes like, how do we support this? It's like, okay, there's support in the industry, and then in our case, you know, how do you support the musicians' needs, particularly their healthcare needs? So I think sometimes you're kind of trying to educate legislators uh, our elected officials about why it's important to do both. Right. <laughs> actually, for sure. Um, and you know there's been some there's been some good success. You know, there's a huge amount of advocacy went into the hotel tax um, a few years ago. That now the, the some of that tax money is going into a musician resource fund um, mm-hmm. that the city the administers to help our musicians in different ways they're determining what that looks like and that's more on the industry side but still that's a great success to kind of tap into that hotel tax it's hard, very hard to do sometimes sure. <laughs> um, and so then how do we kind of continue to kind of you know, educate our elected officials and funders to like this is why this is important it's been relatively I won't, I won't say easy but I think we're, uh, people are open and receptive to that understanding that culturally music is such an, an integral part of the city that we need to support it and protect it. Right.
0: Absolutely. I I definitely agree there. And hopefully, too, as we promote this, maybe people who are in other areas of Texas or in other cities realize how much Austin is trying to contribute and to help musicians. So maybe that will bring more musicians to this area, you know, give them maybe even a safe haven. I know in Florida, I'm not familiar with any type of resources similar to this. I definitely should do more research about it before saying, but I have never, you know, come in contact with that. I have friends who are musicians who talk about this struggle all the time, especially in Jacksonville, where, um, you know, it's, it's difficult. Like you mentioned, they have three or four jobs, they don't have health insurance. And so hopefully these things catch on, um, kind of circling back, I know you were talking about Equality Texas, and I'm not sure if you're still active there. And you know, we're we're also again new here, trying to find right. ways to be more active in the LGBTQ you know, community. Obviously, Florida has um, some fancy new "don't say gay" laws, and Texas is kind of trying to mirror, mirror those in some ways. And so, being between these two states, we're always trying to find ways that we can you know be advocates in the LGBTQ plus community. What has your experience been like with? Um, here in Texas, like just trying to, you know, still raise awareness that we have a long fight ahead of us as members of the gay community. And, and there's still a lot of work to be done.
1: Yeah. It's, um, it's disappointing. It's like Texas is now saying Florida, you can't out Texas us. Uh, so <laughs> right. We're, we're going to show you. Um, um, so yeah, when I was, I was at equality Texas from 2006, 2010 and, you know, we saw a lot of happening with the overturning of Lawrence v. Texas in 2005. Um, we saw the, some of the advancement happening in terms of some of the, you know, the, the marriage equality in other parts of the country, whereas Texas passed the, the amendment um, in 2005, um, um, banning gay marriage. And But we really didn't, those four years, those two sessions, we really didn't have to fight very much. We actually were able to p- promote some um, positive things around anti-bullying, for example. Um, so there were negative LGBT bills that, that were passed, um, but they just didn't go anywhere. And then now to see this, you know, 15 years, 17 years later, um, is just so incredibly disappointing, uh, that we were going way backwards and, and to the level of absurdity, if you scan through the bills that have been filed in the Texas legislature, um, it, it, it it's just it's just absurd that, that this is happening in our country. And in Texas, um, it's, it's, it's so much about a do about nothing in many ways. And it's just all fear mongering. It's right. strictly fear mongering when meanwhile, we have so many other issues that are affecting our children <laughs> in the state, you know, that they, they don't, they can't go to school for, they fear their safety, right? Or, am I going to die? You know, um, they don't have enough food to eat. Uh, they don't have heat in their homes. But we're worried about them having a, going to a library and having a drag queen read them a book, <laughs> and that's where we're spending our energy and time. And, and this has been happening for centuries, by the way. Yeah, you know, this is not anything new. Right. This is all about fear tactics sure. and to rile people up and like, here are the crumbs we want you to focus on, right. so you don't worry about the stuff that we're not doing. Right. I think
0: too. You know, my. Generation, I feel like we were kind of in this really opportune time with prep and we grew up in a time where obviously being gay is almost like been a trend in some ways that that's how my mom likes to describe it (laughs) for straight people. They say, Oh, it's a trend now. You know, it's, it's a different, it's a different way of, of going through high school and going through college. And so I think we also get a little complacent and forgetful of where our forefathers and foremothers have been and what they've gone through. And, I kind of see this, this responsive nonchalant kind of like I am blase da type response from people my age and not really knowing what to do. Is it even really matter? They're kind of just like you mentioned in an individualistic society, just focusing on themselves when all these things are kind of being passed underneath the rug or underneath their eyes, even though they're right there in front of us. Um, In your opinion, should we be more aware? Should we be more scared? Should we be more? Um, proactive and trying to to be out there saying this is a problem. We need to make a change before these bills get passed, mm-hmm. or or do you feel like we're kind of just going to have to wait and see what happens?
1: So I think there are four. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes, 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 yes Sorry, <laughs> that's a lot of questions. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, you bring up a legitimate concern. Yeah. It's like because we, we had we had <laughs> we had these advancements, right. and so you know you you. you you end up getting your cake and all this and and then all of a sudden you know your cake's maybe not getting taken but someone else's is but like well i got my cake now uh so you gotta be we have to be careful about not being complacent it's like well it's not happening to me it's like it advanced enough so i'm protected um but you know the issue is that we how quickly we're seeing things slide backward you know after the overturn of Roe versus away there's conversations about overturning marriage you know even though they're saying okay the supreme court didn't really say that but we've got people talking about that so if they're talking about it they're wanting to do it. Exactly. Um, and so uh, I think we, we have to remain vigilant and advocate and, um, and also just educate. Uh, and I think this is something we can't do alone. It goes with our you know, straight allies. For those that straight allies, they're thinking, oh, it's trendy and it's wonderful. Right. Uh, okay, if you think it's so wonderful, then you need to also kind of contact your legislator or your city council member, or whoever is working on these anti-LGBTQ issues. Um, you know, to advocate, to say, this is not what we stand for. Yeah.
0: I think it's also important too. And what I learned um, with the last, not this just recent election, but um, election of 2016, a lot of my friends that I thought were allies were not, you know, when I was explaining my points of view, I I remember actually my roommate, we we had a talk about who we were going to vote for the week before. And I was with two of her friends and they've, we've, I've hung out with them for years. You know, they know me really well. They seem to care about me and their response to how they thought I wasn't going to be affected by policy change that would be anti LGBTQ plus and and how I shouldn't be concerned was really shocking to me. And it also was shocking to me how little that they thought it affected them. You know, I I would have assumed because we were friends that they would have been more understanding to where I'm coming Mm -hmm. from. And so I think also it's important for us to have those conversations that may be uncomfortable with our straight allies to make sure that they understand where we're coming from, because a lot of times they just assume maybe that we're on the same page as them, or maybe our concerns are more aligned with financial or you know moral values, whatever they consider that to be. And and you know it was really ultimately shocking yeah. to me in tears, like asking my roommates why they would vote for someone who wanted to take my rights away to get married or to make, to feel you know like I belong in the community. And and so yeah, I think it's important that we do have those conversations too, and and still continue. To to have them there's still a lot of minds we need to change and the only way we can do that obviously is just by opening communication so I'm always trying to figure out ways that I can better educate my family too I come from a very conservative Christian family and so sometimes (laughs) expressing myself can be like talking to a wall and so and that's really, you know, can be overwhelming because if I can't communicate with my family effectively or my friends effectively, how am I going to go out and advocate is usually where my brain goes. But I still have to remind myself that there are people that are willing to listen. You just have to sometimes go out of your way and, and you know, put that effort in to to make that change. And so that's what I'm trying to do too this year is really advocate more for, for myself, for the LGBTQ plus community. I'm a huge fan of drag. So obviously they're under attack right now. And, and, um, we're seeing this popular, um, response to RuPaul's drag race and drag being, you know, more, uh, commercial, but we're also seeing that negative side of, of politicians now using that as a weapon. And so it's just been interesting, trying to figure out how to navigate that and, and how to, to put energy in and, and support these causes that I am passionate about without, you know, um, Without like misstepping or, or, or doing things incorrectly or or um, you know not putting my energy where it's going to be well received. So still figuring that out. Yeah, it's
1: you mentioned earlier about the, the kind of the uncomfortable conversations. Yeah, it's it's important to have those uncomfortable dialogues. Right. Um, but also, you, how do you approach it from a way of understanding that we we have so much in common with each other? Yes, it's just amazing that we have these kind of discordant things happening and conversations and fights and when really like there's so much we believe in that are aligned um, collectively. And so lead, you know, it's always trying to remind people to lead with the common themes that you can find agreement on to establish a dialogue and and then start just raising them, you know, how things impact you and what it means to you and your family. Um, You know, like recently this whole conversation around grooming, I'm trying to, to get my blood pressure up um, <laughs> you know, I, same. I, 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 I was brought up in a straight household um, I never was around you know any known gay people um, same. All, all media movies books everything I was exposed to was straight same um, so and somehow I was not groomed to be straight <laughs> So this fear of gay right. people grooming straight <laughs> people to be gay is just—it's an absurd argument. That's not, you know, excuse me, people. It's not how that works. Uh, <laughs> you would think. Uh, otherwise, hell. we have a lot of more straight people and less gay people because sure. we were totally groomed to be straight. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I,
0: I can guarantee that the majority of us, especially when we're younger are very unhappy to find that we are gay because this is a quite a traumatic experience. For those of you who don't know, it's not a great feeling to be alienated by your family and friends at age seven, eight, nine, sometimes as early, you know, for me, I I knew I was gay at age five. So my first crush was on this guy. I was like, "Ah, that's probably not right. (laughs) Keep that to myself. But you know, that you've lived with that trauma forever and then you come out and your family's like, but why, why would you do this to us? I'm like, I've been trying for 10 years to change the yeah. <laughs> Prayed, I did, uh, you know, whatever, anything you can imagine to try and, and change my, you know, my mind here. And so it's, it's just interesting to me how that's still, um, people still think it's like a lifestyle choice or you can be, you know, groomed or brought into, you know, your sexuality, but I'm circling back around to ham because yes. this is why we're here. Yes. And, uh, so again, the events that are coming up and how we can get involved, obviously we can become a ambassador, which I'm super excited for. And hopefully that gives us more time to get to know each other. I feel like we have a lot in common, so that'll be great. Cool. Yes. And uh, and then also these events. Let's just remind our audience: the next event is the corporate battle of.
1: The yeah. Bands? So the next public event is going to be the corporate battle of the bands. Uh, that's going to be June seventh. That's going to be the ACL Live Moody Theater you know, right. down the road here. Um, and so um, we'll be sending out information around that. So go to our website and sign up for our newsletter because yes. one, you can get all this information, not only about our events, but also about being the ambassador, which you're going to be our lead one. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> (laughs) I love that. Uh, The the team's like, no, don't say that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm good with that. Dr. Tyler is going to be on all of our stuff now. Uh, Love that. that. (laughs) um, And so sign up at myham.org. Easy, easy breezy to sign up. You can also donate there. Also kind of be aware of what's happening. We, we have our annual report online. um, So um, you can, you can see that as well and kind of see what our impact looks like for the community. Incredible. Uh, But also, you know, you, you know, we can also, our ambassadors can also work on some of our committees on our, event committees but also some of our board committees so we've got opportunities for people to be engaged in different ways and then the best way also to be engaged regardless is go go to a venue listen to live music and support your local musicians because they they need you and they're awesome yes absolutely
0: Well thank you for taking some time to meet with us today. I'm I love so it. excited to have you back because we definitely have to dive into your history as an attorney and <laughs> learn all of that. I'll tell you my history as a well, my short history as a physician, but I'm sure that we have some some things that align there, which is why, you know, I'm in telemedicine now. I had a interesting experience even early on but so excited to touch base on that also will give us the time to you know recap on us being able to get to know each other better me being a ambassador so we can update the listeners Uh, but again thank you again i can't wait to to touch base with you again soon and looking forward to my next awesome thank you for having me appreciate it Yeah. yeah thank you